Welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, our 15th season, showcasing stories from outstanding business people presented by BDO Canada. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Ernie Furt, who's in for Mike Newton from BDO Canada. Ernie, nice to see you again. Always a pleasure, Dan. Today on the show, um, well, we're, we're cracking open a cold one. It's the beer franchise that has exploded all across Quebec. Carl Magnone, president and founder of Les Franchises Citfret. Uh, he's going to talk to us about the incredible growth of that business, uh, especially during the pandemic. Dozens of stores popping up practically overnight, um, complementing the SAQ uh, with their their model to sort of have artisanal beers uh, in its own in their own stores. Uh, but a private company that's that's working um, in in parallel to the SAQ, Ernie. Uh, it's it's interesting. We we didn't think this would be possible in in some cases. The only thing you know what's possible is when you try. Uh, so there's a lot of people that try stuff, and it, some of it works and some of it doesn't. This seems to be working. Zero to 45 stores in five years. I mean, what more can you say? Yeah, it's just incredible. It's a really interesting story. The subculture uh, that they're creating for um, for the brand and the fact uh, that, uh, and this is what put them on, on our radar, uh, their customer service. Uh, they they won the, the Leger Marketing Annual Award for Customer Service. Uh, by uh, focusing on their in-store experience. And that, Ernie, is something that, uh, I mean, all, all the greats have done that, right? Apple and all that. And it's uh, especially as things go more online, having a special in-store experience is uh, the way to survive in retail, I think. It's just differentiation at the end of the day. You're just differentiating yourself from everyone else. Everyone else has a little beer fridge and they have their beers in it. And these guys have their beers together of the different types. And that's interesting. So you can look at the varying types of beers and choose, you know, what you like. And then you have a selection of what you like. So that's pretty interesting. And also on the show, our specialist, Amanda Curry from Estates and Trusts at BDO Canada will join to talk about uh, digital assets and, uh, and some of the challenges there. Okay, let's get to some current affairs, Ernie. Um, this story from Les Affaires, uh, 10 tricks, astuces pour attirer et retenir le jeune main d'oeuvre. So that is to say, uh, tips for attracting and retaining young workers, Gen Z workers. What did you take out of this piece? Young workers want different things than older workers. You know, they want training. They want the mentoring. They need that flex time. Uh, they want to be involved in technology. Uh, their, their diversity and inclusion is very important to them. And in addition, uh, benefits that everybody wants, like the group insurance, employee discounts, they want that. They want to have a good work atmosphere, uh, so a socially responsible company. Uh, they want the company to use social media and they want to be involved in decision making and they want companies to offer internships. So it's kind of, you know, they want to be more hands on uh, at the end of the day in, in these things. And they want to have uh, businesses that listen to them. There's also and we've spoken about this so many times, um, especially in the latter half of the pandemic, uh, purpose and and meaning and, and creating a, a productive and positive work culture in, in your place of employment, very important for younger workers to have the values question, really. It's important for all workers, but young workers push it more than the older workers. Why do you think that is? Because the young workers are more environmentally conscious and the older workers are more conscious of themselves. 
they want things that will keep them uh, going. They want to ensure that they have their benefit plans. They want to ensure that they have their retirement plans in place. They want to make sure that everything is comfortable for them, while the younger workers seem to be more open to the world. And they want things that are beneficial to all, inclusive of themselves. So they're a little less selfish in that regard. And that's a big change in terms of managing workplace culture. I mean, you guys have intergenerational staff for sure. You definitely have have people of all generations. How do you create a climate that's good for everyone? You have to create a mix of stuff. And, 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 and people at the end of the day have to realize that your Gen Z workers are working uh, for uh, millennials and for uh, baby boomers to a certain extent. And everybody has to learn how to speak to one another. And that's always a, a, a very difficult thing across, uh, uh, across generationally to, to see who wants to speak to each other and how they're going to approach it. This story you wanted to get to, Ernie, from Inc.com, leverage the power of gratitude in your business from a psychological standpoint in recent years, uh, just being grateful and uh, and counting your, your, your blessings, so to speak, even if it's in the secular sense, uh, is positive psychology. Everybody wants to be thanked at the end of the day. You know, you, you do a good job. You want recognition for that. It doesn't necessarily have to be financial recognition. It has to be a thank you. We're happy. We're happy that you're doing this. It, you know, the client is really pleased. The customers are pleased. And, and employees really take a lot out of that. And, and they lack of recognition is one of the, uh, the reasons people leave a job because they're not appreciated or they don't feel appreciated. You can think in your head as the, as the boss slash owner of the business that you appreciate your workers, but you're not really showing it to them. And you have to show it to them, especially towards the younger generation who need that prompting. There have been some studies on this question, I remember vaguely, and they, they've shown that people would often take 10, 15, even $20,000 less uh, at a job if they felt like they were appreciated and they were part of a, a positive work culture they want to be part of the process it's key that they're part of the process from start to finish and if you get your people involved from the beginning and, and so they can see how things work and develop and succeed they're going to be there with you till the bitter end let's talk a bit about productivity now it's uh something on the minds of a lot of people in canadian business uh in the global sense, but on the individual sense as well. What is the 15% rule and, and how can it help us maximize our productivity? This is a little weird in terms of an article. They want you to function at about 85%. You can't function at 100% all the time. It's never go, 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 go. Some people think it is, but then you don't have another gear to, to click into. So if you function back at an 85% capacity, you know, you got to pay attention to your body clock. You have to see, you know, what are you doing and when should you be doing it? Are you doing your heady work at the end of the day? Are you answering emails at the end of the day? Figure out when you're best. Most people are best in the morning. So do your heady work in the morning. You know, organize the days in, in, in terms of the tasks. And, and, you know, you'll do some of the more mundane work at the end of the day when you're tired. You'll answer certain emails at the end of the day, obviously not the emergency ones. Uh, stop being on autopilot. You just got to allocate your time efficiently uh, and align your times for, for the best results. And you have to manage your decision fatigue. Uh, you know, you make the important calls in the morning discussions, important work in the morning before you get tired. 
I want to talk a bit about productivity as a nation now. That's coming up a lot uh, in recent weeks and political commentary. I'm curious about your thoughts on, on this, Ernie. This is from The Conversation, a commentary site, uh, and, and the author is writing about, um, the author is Barry Cross, uh, Queen's University in Ontario, writing about our, our lagging productivity. And he says that Canada is currently ranked 18th, uh, its GDP per hour's worked at 42.5. Uh, compared with the United States, we often like to compare ourselves to the States, Canada's productivity has diminished by 9% between 2000 and 2022, following roughly 72% of that of the U.S. Why are we less productive than our closest neighbors? That's a great question, but there is no one answer to that. Uh, at, at the end of the day, people are still recovering from from the pandemic and they're trying to to find their their way around and they found different things to do during the pandemic so they're not necessarily going back to the traditional workplace whether it be from home or whether it be from the office uh so less people are working uh, more people are assuming more tasks, making them more tired and less productive at the end of the day. Uh, you know, over across in Europe, they're talking about four day work weeks and four day work weeks are interesting because you're cramming stuff in a four day work week that you would ordinarily do in a five day work week. And a lot of people are happier. The happier people are, the more productive they are. But U.S. is not doing a four-day work week. So their productivity, I'm not sure how that is being evaluated and measured. Because you would think that Canada and the U.S. would be close, uh, although the U.S. Is, it, it has always been far ahead in terms of productivity, just because they work more, more hours. And this topic we'll surely get to when Mike comes back. We'll, we'll have a fight about this, I'm sure. But what about the return to the office, hybrid work? Is that affecting Canada's productivity lately? I think it's affecting Canada's productivity because the older generation you know, may want to return to the office, may not want to return to the office. But there, there was an article where the survey says basically that the baby boomers are more interested in working from home. The reasons is they're saving time. Uh, by from the traveling, they're saving money, and, and there's less distraction for them. So all of that, like I said earlier, all of that relates to them. Okay, there's they're talking about saving time and saving money, not saving energy for the world. Okay, they're talking about them, so they're they're looking towards themselves. This is where that four day work week will gain some traction. Uh, people want to have meetings, but they don't want to have too many meetings. They want to have meetings, but they want to have those meetings in the office because they're more productive in the office than on Zoom, where everybody is looking at at their uh, at their emails and other stuff, and and the dog is cro crossing the street, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's an interesting thing. Speaking of productivity, Ernie, I mean, what a great guest to have uh, on that front. In five years, Zitfret went from zero to 45 franchises. Just incredible growth. Carl Mangioni, president and founder of Les Franchises Zitfret. Carl, welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs. Hi, thank you for the invitation. Uh, Ernie, I discovered uh, Carl and the business, and I thought we had to have him on because um, I, I started seeing the, the franchises everywhere popping up. And then uh, they won this really prestigious customer service award um, from Leisure Marketing uh, re really recently. Carl, uh, let's dig in. And uh, first, just tell us what, what is Zitfret, the easiest question first. 
Yeah, so Zitfred is basically a beer store, kind of like we have in Ontario called the, you know, the beer store. And but it's basically um, exclusively for microbrewery products, uh, Quebec wines, Quebec ciders, um, hydromels, and and uh, products from uh, you know like the artisanal side of uh, of Quebec producers. And we started in 2018. We also went on Dragons Den, the Quebec version, and we we got a deal with a dragon, and uh, we exploded after that. We went from three locations uh, to almost 50 locations all across Quebec, and uh, and yeah, so that's that's our our main uh, our main uh, our main focus. I read somewhere that it says you wanted to be the SAQ of beer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that that I, I found that very interesting that you wanted to be the yeah. SAQ of beer. Yeah. So how is that going? Yeah, the concept with that is to say, you know, when you guys think of buying wine, you think of going to the SAQ. So we wanted customers to say, when I think of buying beer, I go to Zitfret. Yeah, because nobody wants to go to Cuvée de Depaneur to get the, their wine. Exactly. Uh, so you go to SAQ. So you you, you want to just get that little appeal uh, yeah. for people. Now, you, you have franchises all over yeah. the place. Yeah. What I didn't see is any franchises in Montreal. Okay. Yeah, we, we did have franchises in Montreal. Unfortunately, the market in Montreal is very difficult. Uh, it's a market where people are very location-based. There's a lot of offer in Montreal where there's a lot of, uh, of uh, groceries and specialized depeneurs that offer microbreweries. So it's a very competitive market. Uh, but we will go back later on with our new uh, business model that we've developed over the last few months with this hard economy. And I think this time it's going to be a hit. I look forward to it because I want you to explain that new business model a little bit to everybody listening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, you know, with any great company, think of Procter and Gamble during the great depression, think of Ford during the great depression, Apple diversification was part of the most important factor of their success through any inflation or economic difficulties. And what we've noticed within the last two years, and you can ask any specialist like Nielsen IQ that really does a lot of research, the beer industry has been in a dramatic drop. The AMBQ, which is the Association of the Microbreweries in Quebec, have stated, I think it was last July, that it was about a 15% drop on average in sales for the beer industry, for the microbrewery industry. And the beer consumption overall is also going down because there is a lot of education on uh, being careful with the consumption of alcohol, really, you know, lowering that quantity. And, and that's okay. We we strong we always believe that it's better to do tastings than to over drink we always we it's our way of of, uh, of teaching people to drink as well um, but it did have an impact on sales in beer and so within a business model like mine which is 95 percent of our sales beer when you have a dramatic increase like that it's directly a decrease in sales and so we had to diversify and so our our business model that we've been developing and we're, we're working with the group blanchette which is behind huge brands like Chocolato, uh, Thai Zone, Shaker, which everybody knows, Bière et Frites in Quebec City, which is extremely well known. They created a new concept called Sugar Daddies. And it's basically, you know, it's a play on the, wor on, on the word sugar. And basically, it's a, it's a concept where it's a store where you have a whole bunch of really cool exotic candy and drinks. 
And it's really leaned towards our nostalgia. It's like old brands. It's really cool. It's a lot of, uh, you know, athletes and stars that have their products. And it's all imported for, from everywhere across the world. And so what we've developed is kind of like a co-branding. It's like it's like a co coexistent of two brands together. Uh, you've seen this type of, uh, of uh, existence with ta uh, Taco Bell and uh, Burger um, Kentucky Fried Chicken. They did those double concepts in one store. You saw it with Baskin Robbins and Dunkin' Donuts, both combined together. You saw Joe Fresh within Loblaws. You saw uh, Rachel Berry in IGA. So it's the same concept that we've developed. And what it does now is that we have something for the whole family. We have, you know, all the terroir products, the beer, the wine, the cideries, et cetera, for the adults. And then on the other side, very well uh, labeled, you have for the kids zone, for the, for the adolescent zone, all the sugar. But the funny part is the adults consume as much sugar as the kids. Carl Mangione joins us from Citefret, the franchise uh, beer store and groceries and snacks too, I guess now. Carl, let's focus on the stores. I mentioned that you guys were the recipient of a really positive survey from Leger Marketing. Uh, they do this annually to rate the customer service uh, in Quebec businesses. You were number one. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere on the rankings. What, what, what are you guys doing right? What's going on there? I think, you know, we, we've always been extremely close to our customers. Our customers on a regular basis can spend 15 to 45 minutes in our stores. And you know what? It's not just shopping around. It's talking to our franchisees and the owners. And so that relation to our customers really make that we, we have strong connections with them. We have franchisees that are extremely passionate about what they're doing. And the other thing is the way the way that we set up the business, you know, part of the evaluation is also the experience, not only, you know, the connection with the staff, et cetera. But, you know, we we were one of the first in Quebec that decided to put everything by category. So, for example, you want blonde beers. They're all at the same location. You want white beers. They're all at the same location. The wine is all together. It's separated by color as well. So you really have like a, an overall experience that's great. And we do things like uh, Les Samedis Découvertes, which is basically Saturday free tastings. So we have literally free tasting events where people come, they can meet the, the, the microbrewery, learn about the microbrewery and literally drink for free. So it's, it's little events like this and little touches of the way we organize things that makes a big difference. I found that interesting. I like I, I like the look of the store that I saw on the uh, on the website. And you know, if the if the candies and and beverages actually are, are become more of a hit, you can also partner with dentists next door. So that would be interesting. Um, <laughs> now, what was your experience on Dragons? Then, how did you decide to do that? And, and did you enjoy that experience? Obviously, you were successful at it because you got a dragon to support you. But yeah, tell me about that. It was a great experience, extremely nerve wracking, extremely stressful, uh, very long process as well. I think we had over six interviews. Uh, we had to redo our pitch uh, in front of different people like three times. Uh, and then what you see on TV is 10 minutes of, um, of almost an hour of filming. Uh, so it's very condensed. Um, and there's a lot of things that they don't show because of the fact that the, it's time restricted. Uh, so it was a very, very interesting experience. It was fun. It was also an exchange with all of the dragons where they gave us, you know, their comments, their suggestions. 
their viewpoint. So it was very good. And overall, it was a, it, it was a positive experience for us. Obviously, it propelled us to be open, uh, to be able to open all those stores. Um, and to business owners that, that uh, are wondering if they should go, I say you should go just at least because it really practices your elevator pitch. It really makes you think as well, because sometimes you feel like you have the best business in the world. You go there and they tell you completely otherwise. And I think sometimes business people, they need that. They need to be sometimes told if it's not a good an, a good idea or if it is, or if there's something that they're doing wrong. So overall, it was a great experience. And how did you decide which microbreweries to bring in and, and which ones? It seems like you're private labeling some of them. Uh, yeah. How are you doing all that? How are you making those decisions? Uh, it's all based with uh, the franchisees and with what the customers want. So it's really a mix of all that. There's a lot of surveys that are done. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, stats that are collected as well, uh, especially, for example, if it's a microbrewery that's doing extremely well, it's definitely a microbrewery that we want to have. Uh, sometimes we also put in new microbreweries to, you know, to give them a chance to, to actually get known all across Quebec. Actually, we're, we're a big platform for that. When the new microbrewery comes and they have no locations and they want to be everywhere in Quebec at once, they, they can work with us and do that. So it's a, it's a mix of all of that. And yes, on the the um, the personal brand, very funny stories in 2018 when we opened, people kept coming in the store and saying, oh, we thought you had your own beer. And so it was coming from the customers. And so we said, okay, well, let's work on that. So we, we developed our, our beers. And honestly, it's crazy. Some stores, up to 30% of their sales is our beer. Yeah, because I think it's a great name. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody <laughs> wants a tit fret now and then. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and in English, it's a cold one, right? So yes, a cold it's a cold one. one. Is, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty common in the English vocabulary as well. Carl, uh, we were talking about your Dragon's Den experience. Uh, you went very quickly to dozens of franchises across Quebec, especially outside of Montreal. Uh, so very, very rapid growth and, and impressive growth. How how are you, is this allowed, if I, if I may be frank, because a lot of people assume the SAQ had a monopoly on beer and wine, but here you are. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of rules and regulations in Quebec on alcohol that are very misunderstood. Um, there's a lot of constraints in Quebec, but for the beer industry, it's a little bit less constraining where the, the microbreweries are allowed to sell in depeneurs and groceries, pretty much everywhere they want, except markets right now. Um, but it's something that they're working on. Um, and so, yeah, and, and so we were capable of doing that. It's actually the opposite, where we lack certain possibilities where other locations in Canada, for example, in the Maritimes, they're even allowed to sell all the hard liquor. Uh, so you can find hard liquor in depeneurs and in uh, groceries, which is something that we would like here too, because obviously for two different reasons, number one, it would help our stores clearly. And number two, the distilleries right now are kind of dependent on the SAQ sales and the SAQ cannot take every single distillery. So there is uh, some, t some limitation there and it would offer up uh, another way for distilleries to become more financially independent. So do you have to report to the SAQ in a, a regulatory environment? How do you have to do that? And how do they make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're still making money? The SAQ and the RACG, which is the, the regular, the, la Régie des Alcools du Québec, 
work together to create the rules with the government on uh, legislation on alcohol. But we don't have to talk to the SAQ. We only talk to the the uh, the government body, which is the RACG. And we don't need to do anything particular except follow the rules of the law of the alcohol, have our permit renewed. They verify that we follow the rules in our stores, but there's nothing that's uh, that's done with the SAQ at all. Are there any crazy rules that they want you to follow that are difficult to comply with? Well, for example, you've probably noticed that companies like Walmart in the States have alcohol, but in Canada, in, in Quebec particularly, they have no alcohol. So one of the rules that people don't know about is that you need to have a certain amount in dollars of groceries and that amount of dollars needs to be over 51% of your inventory. That means that, for example, Walmart, they have a lot of groceries, but what they have more is non-grocery items. So if you look at everything else, baby products, clothes products, uh, electronics, they have decorations, they have uh, uh, pharmacy, you know, all that is exceeding the grocery amount. So because it's exceeding the grocery amount, they're not allowed to sell alcohol under the Quebec law. That's interesting. So you're yeah. okay. With, you're okay with that. With all the other products that that, that you're that you're combining uh, yeah. in each of the franchise uh, stores. Yeah, exactly. Our franchises they have sausages to do a beer and sausage fest. Uh, they have chips. They have candy. They have uh, they have sauces, hot sauces. They have you know different types of seasonings. They have uh, they have cheese fondue. They have now they even have cheese. They have uh, charcuteries. So that's how they diversify to make sure that they're okay with that with that law. Yeah, and I, and I notice you do some charitable activities too. Like you give a yeah. dollar a can to a certain institution. Are you still yeah. doing that? And is that global across all franchises? And how does yeah. that work? Yeah, we've given hundreds of thousands of dollars across different uh, organizations, uh, for example, for cancer, uh, for animals. We've done it for different uh, organizations, for even like hockey teams. Uh, we, did, we did it for mental health a few times uh, with the institution in Montreal. Uh, we, we try to really diversify to who we give uh, to, to, to try and help as many people out as possible. And we've done it through different beers, where, as you said, with the purchase of the beer, a dollar goes to that foundation. That's that that's a great endeavor because yeah, that, yeah. that that really shows that you're part of the community. And, and that's the important thing, at least one of yeah. the important things in a local kind of franchise that that you support the local community and people yeah. love that and they're going to come in and buy more. Exactly. And we do it on a national level where we all choose together one organization like we did with the mental health. But then we do it on a local level where we make a beer, but we tell the franchisee, you choose who you give it to. Wow. That's great. Yeah, I noticed you started in January 18 and you continued yeah. through the pandemic. How was the pandemic on you guys? Was that tough on, on the franchisees or did people drink more beer during the pandemic? Well, we weren't franchised yet when we hit the pandemic. We had three corporate stores and it was Christmas. It was honestly Christmas because people, if you remember, the alcohol consumption went up drastically. Yes. Uh, so people were ordering much more uh, and they wanted to encourage local products on top of that. So it was actually a, a great period for us. I have a question about products. Uh, let's delve into to the actual beer now. Um, I don't drink a lot of beer because of the gluten thing. Is that is that a, is that interesting now these days? Gluten free beer, and do you have a lot of refined beer that is that is gluten free? Because it was tough to tough to find for a while. 
Yeah, I find that the there is clearly not enough gluten-free beers uh, in the microbrewery world. We have a few. We have Helix uh, and we have Glutenberg that are gluten-free and Nouvelle France. So I can literally just count three microbreweries that actually have it. They're all absolutely delicious. Uh, like I even recommend those beers to gluten drinkers. So there's absolutely no problem with that. But the the demand is so high and the offer so low that they're very hard to get. They're always back order. It's uh, we have a problem with that for sure. So the seltzers, most there's a lot of different seltzer brands that are gluten free. So at least they can go there. Uh, but we do have a problem with um, with that category. But then in the in the alcohol free. Uh, section that's that's increasing drastically you know like Buckel pretty much started the trend in Quebec but now we have so many we have Bière Sans Alcool uh, we have La Gabière that does alcohol-free beers uh, we have La Souche that does alcohol-free beers Maltco that does alcohol so there's dozens and dozens of micros that do alcohol-free beers now and they're honestly getting better and better much better quality I find than the commercial beers which always have a type of chemical taste to it. I find that the microbreweries beers are really fantastic. Are you trying to influence your suppliers to produce certain products like such as this, a gluten-free beer with alcohol? Yes, but the, unfortunately, the technology is very different. The ingredients are very different and you need to be certified also that you have no gluten, right? You need to, there's different, there's different things in terms of the law that you have to be careful with. Uh, I see you participated in beer festivals over the time. I guess that's in partnership with uh, uh, with your producers. Yeah, exactly. We do actually a lot of festivals, and we, we feel that it's a great way to get the community to know it. But we also have our own festivals called Le Festival de la Tite Frette. We have one uh, coming up in Quebec uh, the 21st of October, and um, it's really cool. It's like little events where it's free to get in. You only pay if you drink. And so for your drinks, basically, and you have like uh, you have music and bands and everything. And it's a, and it's a very nice way to meet the locals and to and to taste different types of beers. It's interesting, Ernie, we had Safari Condo a few weeks ago and they have their own little festival every year. And we were saying how, you know, creating that festival culture, subculture uh, really helps a brand. So you're going for it, Carl? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And let's just add a couple more questions for Carl on the podcast. Ernie? I noticed that you won a a prize called the pre-wow in 2023. What was that all about? It was basically uh, an experience uh, calculator where they they actually talked to a whole bunch of uh, companies and and uh, not companies, but customers to see what was their, their favorite companies, their favorite experiences. They had a whole bunch of different criterias and they came up with basically the top companies with the best uh, evaluations. Wondering about the SAQ as well. Do you know if if you're on their radar? Or are you eating into their market share? Actually, I, I actually have a di direct line of conversation with Catherine Dagenet, which is the president of the SAQ. And we actually converse uh, through email and, and phone together. Um, and I have a lot of respect for what she does. And, and she has respect for what I do. And, and I really believe that we're very complementary because the SAQ did a great job as at putting... Quebec products more forward, um, but it's a very hard culture because the SAQs all have sales objectives, right? And they have their objectives for the managers are based on pro on profit margins, on sales, 
And unfortunately, Quebec products have lower profit margins than international products where they can set their own margins. And so it's very difficult, right, to to bring to the culture the fact that you need to promote local products, but yes, it will affect your margins. And so it's kind of like a very, very unique balance. And the other thing is that she, well, they don't push beer as much as we do, right? And our wine sector is not even 5% of our sales. So their beer is not even 2% of their sales, you know? So it's a perfect match. It really, and in, in fact, we are actually often located right in front or right beside the SAQ. I'm thinking of Café Laval. We literally share the same door. So, and they've never objected uh, of us becoming like neighbors. So I think that it's a great synergistic uh, relation. It's very interesting. Uh, hypothetically, if you wanted to create this business for organic wines, just focus on wines, it, could you do it? We could, definitely. But I still believe that the SAQ is always going to come on top in terms of, you know, of wine, because it's such a, 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 a habit in, in people's lives to just go to the SAQ for liquor and wine. And Maybe they'll grab a beer, but it's more rare. So I think it's better for us to focus on that market in, instead of the other one. Carl Magnoni, president and founder of Les Franchis Citret, the beer store that has exploded across Quebec. Really inspiring story. And we'll have his one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs in a few minutes. But first, let's check in with our BDO specialist, Amanda Khoury, manager estates and trusts at BDO Canada. Amanda, welcome back. Hi, everyone. Always great to be back. Ernie, uh, it's worth reminding people at least a couple times a season how important uh, wills and estates are in terms of managing your own finances and uh, succession plans for businesses. Absolutely. There's so many people who don't take the time to do to, to do their wills or estate planning. And, and Amanda is there to help them uh, through this process. And through this process, I'm sure you, you, you've you seen all kinds of exciting things and, and had all kinds of questions. And I think one of the questions that, you, that, that I want to pose is what do you do about your digital assets and, your, and, and any virtual intellectual property that you may have? Yeah, that's like a really good question. And, and it's actually one that seems to be coming up more and more today. Many people forget about I mean, what we like to call their intangible assets when setting up and discussing their estate plans. So I guess just for everyone to understand what I mean by a digital asset. So it's really your digital inventory, like your photos on a variety of different cloud services, you know, your music that you have on different streaming services, such as Apple Music or Spotify, your email addresses, social media accounts, and even your financial accounts. You know, some banks are purely online based, like Tangerine, for instance. So when discussing your digital assets, we're also including, you know, any domain names you might have purchased, digital currencies that really became popular, I would say, since what, 2019, 2020, and even people who are who who have subscription to online games. So a lot of social media sites, one of the biggest ones, like let's say the Facebook group. And quite a few cloud services offer legacy management features. So in their settings, uh, when you're setting up your account, uh, you can appoint someone and, and provide them with specific permissions that forms part of your legacy plan. But let's say if you don't have this option, but you want to leave your digital assets to someone or to manage them, you have to make sure your executor of your will 
can access them, or you want to nominate someone to manage the accounts on your behalf. So you want to make sure that in your will, you have instructions for all your digital accounts and ways to access them. That seems to really be something that's forgotten. When we look at documents prepared with someone's will or even their power of attorney documents, there should always be a list of assets. But what's missing is their digital inventory and subscriptions. Another option that we're seeing more and more now is there are like Apple, for instance, has family sharing accounts. So you have one account that has many different people. I believe it's up to like, let's say six, where everyone can easily access. So that's also a great option. If God forbid, one day one passes away, the other family members have access to those accounts. In terms of access to those accounts, it's also important that there is a list of passwords somewhere. Okay, that is imperative. Crucial, yes. Let's go simple for a second. Many people have joint bank accounts with their spouse. And what happens to that when somebody dies? Is the account frozen? How does that work? it's it's not frozen for the surviving account holder. And I think that's what the misconception is a lot of the times. So banks in Quebec, I'm speaking strictly for Quebec, banks in Quebec have to transfer upon request the surviving holder's share of the account. So that's normally, let's say, 50% of the balance. The deceased's share, however, will then be what we all can assume is frozen until it is transferred to their estate account by the liquidators. So for the surviving holder, the like we can guess, the account hold, the account will be changed from a joint account to a sole named account holder. And I know, I will just mention though, I know that more and more now with that confusion, banks and even those involved in estate planning, so such as myself, we're slowly moving away from the advice of joint accounts. If we're going to recommend something where someone wants another individual to have access to their account or give permissions to that individual, we like going the power of attorney route. So you appoint someone to have power of attorney on your account for your lifetime. And we see that that's, it's much better suited, especially for later on. Yeah, but power of attorney is not ownership. No, but it gives you all the access that you kind of, you're, you're kind of initiating when you're giving someone a joint account. It's really so you both have access and you both can access and do things on that account. So why not just give power of attorney? Understood. And when you want to prepare an estate plan, are there documents you have to bring to see you or to see anybody who's doing this kind of stuff? Yeah. So I guess when you can look at it as when you're when you're thinking about your estate plan, I think people all like automatically assume that it's just your will. But there are different documents and and list of assets that you or list let's say lists or documents that you want to bring to us. So your will, of course, if you prepared a power of attorney document, your financial and bank account information is really important. Insurance policies, which seems to really be forgotten, you know, we you you want to give your liquidator those details as well, and real estate deeds, your original real estate deeds, keep those close to you. <laughs> your executor should also be given a list of your assets. So we like to prepare our balance sheet, and we keep that with your estate plan. So it's not only a list of your assets and the different accounts and account numbers, but it's also any debts or liabilities that you have at that time. You should. Also prepare, this is really key, a list of designated beneficiaries information. So whoever you plan on naming as your beneficiary, even your executor, you want to make a list of their their name, of course, address, uh, description of who they are, their phone number. Because many times when 
A third party liquidator is appointed, for instance. So like your lawyer, a notary, or even your accountant, they might not be familiar or really know who everyone is. So it's important that your liquidator has an idea who these beneficiaries are and, and how to get in touch with them. I also want to point out that it's really important to prepare a list of your reoccurring payments. So utilities, subscriptions. So just write, you know, something so simple as the institution's name and the account numbers. And we keep that with the estate plan as well. Yeah, because you need to know what to cancel. You know, you cancel yeah. your subscription to Sports Illustrated and, yeah. and all the Time magazine, et cetera, et cetera. You want to ensure that that's there as well. People forget about these little these little things, right? They're they're so minute, you know, even your 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 subscription to the Gazette, but they make a difference, right? It's still something that's under your name that needs to be handled. So Amanda Curry, manager estates and trust at BDO Canada. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you guys. And as we come to the end of our show, let's turn to our entrepreneur Carl Magnoni, founder of Le Franchise Citfret, and ask him, Carl, for your one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs. What do you think? Adaptability. I think that with the market right now, with the economical turmoil, you know, the inflation, everything that's happening, we don't know exactly, is it going to take a year, two years, three years to get back to normal? I think that entrepreneurs need to prepare themselves, they need to be very adaptable, and they need to listen to their customers and listen to the market and to really see how they can adapt to it. I think that with every economic crisis, there's businesses that die and there's businesses that come on top. And the businesses that come on top, they 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 come on top strong. I always give the, the example of Ford Motor Company, which literally almost died, but through diversification, better processes, a new marketing strategy, all of that combined, they were able to become one of the one of the best and most important manufacturers of automobiles in North America. And I think anybody can do that with their own business by being smart, by being careful, but by by changing and adapting their business to what the, the market requires today. Thanks very much, Carl. And Ernie, such an interesting story. I mean, award-winning customer service, they've got their marketing down pat, um, and, and then the crisis happens, responding to it, and creating that subculture uh, to grow, even in times of crisis, a really inspiring story. It's a great Thanks story, so and it just makes me thirsty, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go crack open a cold one and wish Carl and everyone a, uh, a pleasant afternoon. Thank you. Thanks again, Carl. Thank you for having me. Next week on Inspiring Entrepreneurs by BDO Canada, we'll talk with Sarah Sadeki, co-founder of Timeo. She wanted to identify an opportunity during the pandemic, and she navigated those challenges by managing growth in the ed tech market, education technology. A reminder, you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal as a podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, or your favorite platform. And you can also log on to the website, inspiringentrepreneursmtl.com, for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles. Thanks, Ernie. See you soon. See ya. This has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.